Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we welcome back two old friends. Uh, first, Ironwall Games, Rob Davio. Rob, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. And we also welcome back former intern, now the lead designer of Mohawk Games, Soren Johnson. Hey guys, great to be here. So before we get into today's topic, uh, a quick story. Um, just years ago, there was this there was this ad for the first Age of Empires, and it was one of the best uh, strategy game ads I've, I've probably ever seen. It was a three-page ad, which kind of tells you everything about that era in games media, right? Uh, it was glory days of the you know 300-page issues of PC Gamer. But anyway, so you had this three-page Age of Empires ad, and nobody really knew what the hell the game was going to be yet. And so you you get you hit the first page and it was this uh, really gorgeous, glorious looking like classical Greek city, uh, you know, white marble columns, temples, uh, you know, paved streets. It was it was beautiful, and uh, you know the the text on this first page was like, you know, art, culture, literacy. Your civilization is thriving. What more could you possibly ask for? And you turn the page, and on the right-hand side, you've still got that same glorious Greek city, except now the full screenshot is unveiled. And on the left-facing page, you have an army burning down the walls, pouring into the city streets, workers being slain in the streets. And the text was, at this point, an army would be useful. (laughs) And... That really kind of sums up, I think, the, this this weird tension in a lot of strategy games that combine construction of an empire and then also the other things empires do, which is project power and fight. And how a lot of times, even though players know what they're signing up for when they get into a strategy game that's about comp- imperial competition... There's often this sort of hesitancy or even, you know, almost revulsion uh, when players actually have to get to that other half of the equation, which is fight to keep what's yours. And, you know, I I think one of the things that put me in mind of of this topic is uh, I've been involved in testing uh, Rob's next legacy game for, uh, for, well, an actual age at this point. And one of the (laughs) things that seems to keep coming up in playtesting is that part of your game is about expanding an empire and going out and exploring and and building up you know trade network and then part of it is competing with other empires and what's weird is the people who really like that exploration game seem to hate the fact that it's even possible to fight in, in your game and i, I just it, it strikes me as a is, is a weird contradiction when it comes to this particular type of game and i kind of want to delve into that contradiction today Absolutely. Maybe uh, at the end of this, I will have clarity to fix many of the design problems that come from that that tension of, you know, uh, the game he's talking about is called Seafall. It's a board game. I've been working on it for a year and a half. I really want it to be done by now, but ambition got the better of me. Um, and it's a game of exploration. It's a game of trading. It's loosely set in the 16th century uh, or inspired by it's its own fictional world where you go out and you're finding islands and you're exploring and and finding these different things. And, you know, at some point, you're going to fight each other. You're going to steal, you're going to burn, you're going to raid. And it just creates, a. that's what always breaks the game. Um, For those of you who don't know, I did a game a couple years ago called Risk Legacy. And one of the things that was different about that game is some of the actions you take in one game carry on to the next. So it almost is like a giant campaign pulling in stuff from like role-playing or video games. And so what happens is if one empire decides that they are just going to be the bastards and start fighting by by game seven the whole thing is just broken like no one can do anything it's just the streets have been burned and and nothing has happened other than people cower in fear of this one guy but what interests me about that is it it sort of seems like in in your game but also i think in a lot of uh what we call uh 4x games uh which you know exploration exploitation expansion and uh extermination you know that hap- you know the the military course y- people turn into the people turn into the huns because other players didn't compete with them on that level right they didn't prepare for that i think that's part of what happens like usually usually like in in seafall when i see someone who's gotten completely out of hand militarily it's because everyone else saw it happening and then it was like yeah but I think I just I think I'd rather just I, I think I'll just stockpile some gold and and build a nice new building. <laughs> and it's like no, you you've got to go out and fight that ship. You've got to go do it. And, and yet there's this um, 
uh, I don't want to I don't want to call it player entitlement because people uh, people take the lessons from the game that the game teaches them, I think. But there is the sense that every time someone gets completely out of control militarily, uh, and, and you're sort of bushwhacked by someone running an aggressive strategy, th there's kind of the sense that, well, that shouldn't be allowed to happen because I was playing such a good, you know, building game. Yeah, that is that is sort of the by giving people different paths or hopefully different paths to victory. It's like, oh, you can win, you know, militarily or by exploring or by building a trade network or building these great structures. Um, military is the one that can interfere with your plans the most. Yeah, and trading, I can kind of buy some goods out from underneath you or I can explore ahead of you. But it feels like a race more than a competition, whereas the military angle is really like, oh, you just built that. I just burned it down. And it really bothers people because they don't want to play that game. And, and it's like people are playing two different games, but the game you're playing is actively interfering with the game I'm playing, which isn't the case vice versa. And it causes some interesting uh, tensions in game that I don't mind, but a lot of players, to your point, get kind of, um, they, they lose a bad taste in their mouth. And, you know, and to some extent, it, it we're putting tools in to say, look, I don't want to be aggressive, but I now have the ability to build up some barricades and defense networks against you. It's going to take me time. It's going to take me effort. But then I can kind of, I've built up a big enough defense that I can kind of sail from home and relax a little bit. So, Soren, I wanted to get you in on this because I think, you know, not only did you learn a lot during your internship, uh, but you also did some work for Firaxis and spent a lot of time working on the Civilization series. And, you know, you saw it from the other side, but I think from, from my perspective, if you take it from Civ 1 and Civ 2, which really, I think, at the end of the day were really conflict-oriented strategy games. Yeah, there were ways to win without exterminating everyone, but, like, I remember those games involved a lot of ass-kicking. And then by Civ Four and then Civ Five, it's like you have these tracks starting to really diverge. Like, there seems to be this increasing, like, emphasis on, well, if you don't, if you don't want to play, if you don't want, if you want to fight too much, like, you don't really have to. Here, here, have a turtle strategy. And I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, first of all, you know, when you're working on the Civilization series, did, did you encounter this kind of tension in player expectations? And then is the trajectory of Civ since then, uh, is that kind of a response to, to, to that? Yeah, um, I mean, we had, we had a strong sense that we had kind of two, uh, sort of a split player base. Um, I, I usually thought of them in sort of three general categories. Um, there was the warmongers, there was the builders, and there was the role players. Um, and the third one we can kind of leave aside for the moment. But, but, but basically, the builders and the warmongers were kind of in direct opposition to each other. Um, and the builders tend to be the type of people who, who would, would play Civ and... Basically, if they if someone declares war on them, their instinct is usually to reload ten turns earlier, right? Like they just they don't want to fight they don't want to fight a battle. They're very happy. You know, they're basically playing SimCity inside of Civ, right? Um, and at some point, they might get such a huge technology advantage that you know they're like, okay, I'm just going to turn this turn the switch now, and then you know I'm going to turn into a military civ just to sort of, you know, finish off this game or whatever. But basically they're, what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to have as much, go as far as they can, just building up and perfecting their, their economy and their infrastructure. Um, and, you know, the warmongers are all about, you know, not just fighting a battle, but figuring out how to do that as early as possible. Um, and these tend to be the, the type of players who actually do succeed the most at the highest levels because, you know, the best time to kind of cripple the AI is, you know, early on when they just have a couple cities. And if you can figure out how to, um, you know, you know, nail them early, it's, it's pretty hard for the AI to you know, respond to that. Um, so if you're playing at the very top difficulty level, that tends to be the way, the way that you go. Um, but the, the features that we added for uh, the games really were, you know, aimed towards, you know, pleasing these different type of players, right? Like the builders, they didn't really care about the promotion system, right? Um, whereas the, the warmongers, you know, great people and religion is nice, but it's kind of a sideshow for them, right? Um, and, um, you know, it's, it worked because the game is single player, um, and so it does have that kind of, um, you know, players are setting their own goals and, and expectations for the game, and, and, and that that part worked. 
But if you look at the Civ Four multiplayer community, I mean, it's it's a war game, right? There are no builders there to be had at all. Um, and you know that's because if you have if you have competent opposition, if you add military to an economic game, you've now turned it into a military game. And whereas vice versa, if you have a military game and you add uh, economy to it, you you have not turned it into an economic game. It's still a war game. It just happens to have you know a lot more extra stuff in it, you know, which is not always a good thing, uh, depending upon you know how much sort of quote unquote stuff you want in your game. So I knew this podcast was going to be helpful for me. <laughs> Trying to figure, I, I think I'm facing the same thing in board game form, right? And it's just a little bit tougher. Every time I play test with people, I kind of explain, here are the four things you can do. You can explore, trade, build, and, and fight. And at the beginning of game one, the only fighting you can do is you can raid each other's, well, you can raid lands, either these neutral islands out, which are just like NPCs for the game, or each other's lands where I, I have got some goods in a warehouse or I've got a tax space. And almost every single time the first person attacks, it's almost, it's rarely like turn one or two. It's like towards three or four when you're running out of options, you, the, someone raids someone else and they almost always say, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm just testing out the rule set, right? Like, like we're just play testing here. Like they, there's this real apology. Like, I'm sorry, I've been backed into this. I have no choice. But then, but then after that, people feel like, oh. All right, it's, it's a war game too, and then it shifts almost entirely to being a war game, unless there's a group of people who decides not to fight at all, and then it stays an economic game. But it really can't, it's it doesn't live in balance. Yeah, it's really hard to have military not drown out everything else. You know, anytime you have a strong you know zero sum mechanic in a game where you can you can you know you making a choice takes something directly away from other people. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works in Seafall if. When you attack them, do you actually get their stuff, or do you just destroy their stuff? Uh, it's a little of both, and actually, I, I brought on a developer a couple weeks ago, and we're kind of going through every assumption in the game and really looking at, and so we're trying to find the right balance. What I because what if, I, you, if you get their stuff, that's really hard to control. And in some cases, you get their stuff. In some cases, you kind of suppress their ability. Like right right now, the way it's morphed into is, if I go raid your taxes. I actually get money from the bank, not from your treasury, but your ability at the end of the year to get taxes has been suppressed. So next year, you'll have less. It's almost like I burned down some crops. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't take away from what you can do now, but I've ruined your future potential. So that's that's somewhere in between. It's like delayed zero sum. Um, well, I think military is interesting because I think a lot of times military options are added to games just by default. You know, you just as a designer, you don't even question that assumption. It's like, well, of course we're going to have, of course we're going to have battles. You know, like uh, especially if if it's in a period where that's thematically appropriate, right? Um, you know, you just you just put it in there, and it's it's really interesting to see games where they like, okay, we know there's military in this game, but we're not going to approach it from a zero sum point of view, which is sort of the standard way to do combat. Uh, a really good example of this is Seven Wonders, um, because that game yeah. has. You know, it has a military aspect, but you're not really destroying what someone else has. It's just this aspect. Uh, it's just this other path to get victory points, um, and it's you know, it's this it's this other um, vector that exists within the game. And you know, you want to pay you want to pay close attention to your neighbors and how they're doing on it. Um, but it, it's not really going to ruin your stuff. So you don't get sort of that depressive like I built up this cool engine and it got wiped out feeling that you do from other games yeah and i like in seven wonders that the penalty for being behind military is is always a constant minus one but the vic but the victory ramps up from one to one three five so you get more and more rewards but if you decide hey i'm not doing military i'm just gonna take the negative three i mean you're you're giving the other person you know nine points to but it doesn't feel bad yeah, I mean that's literally positive sum, right? Like yeah. in contrast to zero sum. Like it's it's you know the points all add up, you know, uh, you know more than more than zero. So like yeah, you're you're gonna take a hit, but um, you know you can still win the game if you decide to take that hit. Yeah, what I've what I've put into Seafall, which I still like as a concept, and it's getting closer and closer in execution, is this idea of uh, enmity tokens. So for everything I take from you or set you back, I give you one of my tokens, which represents your country's hatred of me now, which increases your defense, which makes it harder for me to attack again. And then later on, you, you might be able to cash those chips in as to some like long-standing revenge scheme. So yeah. if, I, if I keep raiding you, yes, I'm taking away very tangible goods, but then at the end of the game, you may come back with a, 
re, you know, a revenge or retaliation plot. Well, let, let me ask you this. What's the purpose of military or combat in Seafall? Like, why is it in the game? Um, well, what I imagine is, well, I got ships sailing the sea and you're exploring and you're doing stuff. So it's the high seas. So to some extent, to your point, it felt like if I didn't have it in there, it was going to be um, really lacking. People would question it, although that's just an assumption, which I'm now questioning myself um, mid-conversation. Uh, what I want to do and what I'm talking about with the developer is the idea of I like the idea of military of being a little hammer, which mm -hmm. means if someone's winning, all the other people can take their little hammers and combine them and kind of drag the leader back. But right. the person who's winning or feels they want to be a military, they just have one little hammer. So they can't really do anything but be a nuisance. You know, it's it's a way for a couple people to say, hey, Zachney's winning. Let's kind of get let's gang up here for a minute. It's a way to actively get a sort of runaway leader. So we actually have something similar to that in the game that I'm working on right now. Uh, it's called Offworld Training Company. Uh, you know, we just sort of announced the title recently. Uh, it's an you know, economic RTS. And we have something called uh, the Black Market, um, which is a place you go to to buy little sabotage items to mess with other people. Um, these can be like dynamite to blow up their buildings or like EMP, which like freezes their buildings for a certain period of time or mutiny, which means you actually take over someone's building for a certain period of time. So you can, you know, you can capture someone's steel mill for two minutes or whatever. Um, but the, the main and the thing is, when you buy stuff from the black market, every time anyone buys it in the world, the price doubles for each item. And you're also locked out for a certain period of time. So that means like if you're playing a player game, um, everyone is basically going to be able to, to buy, say, four or five of these items, right? And exactly if one person is starting to pull away, um, you know, the correct move is for the people who are, um, you know, behind them to kind of start using these, like you say, little hammers against against the top guy. Um, and if they if they use their um, their you know, if they use their sabotage items uh, inappropriately, like if they kind of use them against each other instead of the guy people in the lead, like that's that's an important part of the strategy. They're sort of they're playing the game suboptimally then. Right. Um, so yeah, it's that. That I mean, I, I to me this is this is sort of like uh, the direct inspiration of this is basically the the robber in Catan, right? Like that's that's sort of the a, a good purpose of that of that game element of that game is that um, you know four player game the three players who feel like they're behind can use it to kind of pull the the leader back to the pack, um, and but it's a very it's and here's the tricky part it's. Here's the important thing about it is that it's a game element that is you can you're limited in your ability to use it. You can't just decide every turn I want to use the robber, right? right. Like right. it depends upon you might need to roll the right dice or you might need to save up. Yeah, you, know, you know you might you might need a knight, um, but you know you can't just decide to use it. And the thing is that and that's similar. So that's similar to the black market in in off world. You know, since the price keeps doubling and you get locked out from the market from time to time, you you can't just you know sort of stock up on as many of these these items as, as you want to. But I think most games that have a military, like you know, the default is like okay, I'm you know I, I get to buy some ships or I get to buy some tanks and like I'm going to be able to use them. You know, I, I should probably be able to use them every turn, um, and you know, sort of one thing leads to another, leads to another, and you know, you're because you have it, you're going to be hurting other people as much as possible, um, as opposed to you know, sort of limiting, uh, you know, the, the number of times you can use it. Well, you know, it's interesting. Most most games where there's a significant military option, I tend to think of as military is kind of a high momentum strategy, like. It's very rare that a game makes military options feel awesome right at the start. Uh, it, it, you know, your first your first forays out in, into battle are probably going to be kind of underwhelming. You know, tiny little tiny little groups of dudes, crappy gear, whatever. Um, and to keep building up that war machine in your in your typical strategy game, like I think of, I think of Civ, and I think there's a bit of this in Seafall too. In terms of uh, the last build I played, there was definitely probably more rewards than there are now uh, for doing repeated military adventures um uh yes uh, it was it was it was a one big hammer and once someone realized how hard they could hit people with it it was just i've got mjolnir let's go yeah. let's just let's well, let's roll 
and, and that's the thing is is to get to that point though you've you've had to give up so many options that at that point okay now you finally got your big hammer so of course you're 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 just going to keep using it because that's kind of where like you you kind of shit canned a lot of your other ideas and now here's what you've got you got a big gun you got to use it and I think with Civ at least there's this is mitigated a little bit because technology kind of ages out. Uh, if you know you, the army you've built up, uh, you know to win a war in you know the in the Middle Ages, it's 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 not impossible, but it's hard to keep that army as uh, viable up through uh, modern times. Um, so there's there's a bit of a reset function, you know, there. But I I, I think you know in 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 general, with like a with like a board game. You don't have as many of those reset options, you know, because it's a, sort of a one session thing, uh, yep. and, and so once once that ball starts rolling, you're kind of that that is the game dynamic. You're you're kind of stuck with it. Uh, I mean, it really is. I mean, in Seafall, and I you know I imagine this is the case in a lot of these four X games. And I, from what I've seen, is you know you can't do everything. So at some point you figure out what your strategy is. And if you've d tripled down and said, I'm all military, and then you discover military is really powerful, you'll just stick with it. The other option is if you say, I'm going to be all military, and then you do that and you go, well, this isn't very powerful at all. This is just a little hammer. Then you feel frustrated that you like kind of took a path that you can't get out of and you're just watching the game unfold in front of you. So I'm doing a lot of juggling to try to get this to be, I want conflict between people. I want to kind of represent that colonization um, feeling from the 16th and 17th century of, oh, you've got a colony? Well, it's my colony now. Oh, you have a, you you keep, you know, collecting these spices in this trade route? Well, uh, I'm going to undercut you and do it in such a way that it doesn't become extremely frustrating, but kind of echoes some authenticity to it. I don't want it to be just a Euro game, I guess. So I think something that i wonder about as i as i see players react to this kind of thing and i see the way people uh get really committed to the idea of in in games like civilization sort of the one city uh you know strategy where you're just going to win the game by staying you know that's kind of a special iron man challenge type of thing but you know there's people that like civ 5 explicitly rewards you for sort of staying small uh staying tiny and ju and just sort of focusing on uh scaffolding your civilization up over these tiny little civs and i always kind of wonder about how much you want to accommodate uh the fact that a lot of players are going to sort of like get very strong feelings about to an either or proposition right you're going to have a lot of players who are like no i i want this to be a game about uh you know managing resources and constructing awesome stuff versus people who want to play it as a war game because what i think of these kinds of games i tend to like them as as the i like the idea of oh, you should be using all the tools in the box. You know, you can't, yeah, you can focus on one, but you should be playing with the military stuff. You should be, you, you should be aware of it. Uh, but at the same time, I have to acknowledge, I also am probably someone who, in more than a few games of Civilization, has totally reloaded when I get, you know, get caught flat-footed uh, by someone declaring war on me when I was busy building cultural wonders. And I just I'm I'm not sure how to I'm I'm not sure where I come down on that you know like on the one hand there's a lot of players who clearly want to be able to just succeed by sort of running these sort of specific strategies, uh, but at the same time I, I I love the idea of oh yeah you can you can prioritize you know building your great civilization but you still need to go out there and fight the other players a little bit, and I, I don't know I don't know where I come down on that where, where do you guys stand? Well, I actually think um, the fact that Civ does try to sort of maintain this balance between military and uh, you know, infrastructure or building. I think it's at this point, I think it's actually a weakness for the series. Um, and the truth is, there's just there's there's no real competitor to Civ when you're talking about a you know historical grand strategy game, um, at least of, of that of that type. There's tables being flicked flipped in Sweden right now. <laughs> well, the Paradox games are just—they're just very, very different games, you know. Um, but I—I uh, um, I really feel like Civ would be better off if they committed to either okay, this is a grand war game um, with a little bit of a little bit of, of, of technology or infrastructure, um, or 
you know, we're going to go all in on, you know, the research and the culture and the religion and the, the buildings and like managing your cities. And the, the military is a little bit abstracted. You know, maybe it's done territory by territory and you're not really, you know, moving units tile by tile around the map. Like, I feel like, um, I feel like the, where Civ is right now, it's sort of stuck a little bit on sort of a local maxima where it's like always you know, trying to balance these two things that don't really quite fit together. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm starting to it, it's comforting to know that, you know, I'm not the first person to be like, man, I can't get these things to work together. <laughs> um, and one of my friends said something a couple months ago, which I, I'm trying to get more and more into the design. He said, why don't you stop pretending that all the avenues to victory are equally valid in Seafall? You're building a game about exploration. Like it's an exploration game, which occasionally you fight or trade or build in. But like, you know, whenever you have a choice of what's the right path, it should be, oh, how does this help me explore? And yep. by making it not like this equal four-legged table with equal paths, but say, okay, here's here's one thing and here are the support points to get there. It has helped me sort of clear up some of the log jams and problems that I've had. This is a game about, because it's a board game where the board starts mostly blank. It's right. like an open, and as you play game after game, the board is going to fill up and people you know, get intrigued by that concept. So if all of a sudden games six, seven, and eight turn into a global conflict where no exploration takes place, mm. actually, that sounds kind of awesome in a way, but um, uh, <laughs> it's not the game I should be making, right, in a sense. I think war has to be costly. It has to be temporary skirmishes. It has to be a way to, to kind of create, again, it has to be a way to help your exploration or undercut other people's exploration. And I agree, trying to maintain this delicate balance of, okay, you go over there and build, and you explore, and you become a merchant, and I'm going to focus on war. Well, if I'm focusing on war, all I'm doing is messing up the three of you from executing your strategies, and then you're just forced into joining the war game that I started. Well, to get to get the first Civ to work, Sid kind of did this really crazy thing at the time, which was just you kind of took a you know tile-based building game and a tile-based war game and you kind of just slapped them right together one right on top of the other um and you know that there was nothing there was nothing even close to anything like it at the time and it was you know it was sort of um it it, it worked well enough right um but i think that you know going going forward it's kind of just hard to um like one one good thing to to think about is this the whole one city challenge thing that that you know Rob mentioned earlier, which is that um, uh, that's something that that grew up you know as sort of a a folk challenge for the game. Um, you know, it was never intended that you should be able to beat the game with one city. Um, and I don't know if that started with Civ One or Civ Two, but certainly by the time we got to Civ Three, we were aware that people were playing the game like that. Right, um, and so by the time we got to Civ Four, we went ahead and, and made that an actual game option. You know, where you could click a box and say like, "I'm playing One City Challenge." You know, the game's not even going to let me build settlers. Um, there were probably some other sort of tweaks to the game rules that kind of like made it, you know, know, you know, know that you were intentionally, you know, trying to do this thing. So maybe we would change, I don't know, the, maybe the way maintenance worked. I don't, I don't actually remember, but, um, but it was sort of the specific game mode. Um, and I think by the time they got to Civ Five, there was this almost conception that the game there was this this sense that the game should support that type of a mode, right? That that like it somehow the game is off if like I can't build one or maybe two or three cities and win the game that way. That's what they when at the time they referred to that as growing your Civ vertically as opposed to horizontally. Mm -hmm. But this is this kind of and, and I think John has actually said this if I if I remember um, that um, sort of admitted to this that um, and this goes along with what what Rob the other Rob um, was saying about about Seafall like what's the what's the focus of the game Civ is a game about building an empire and when you're when you're when you're rub you know when you're going against the grain of that uh, it's kind of like you're rubbing the cat the wrong way right. Um, and that that leads to some problems. Like it's nice to have this kind of funny variant where you're like, hey, look what, look, I can build this, I can beat this empire building game uh, with one city, but it's not necessarily a design goal, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's a variant. So let me ask a more fundamental question, which I think we're all we've all agree on, but we haven't said why. Which is why does the introduction of war turn a empire game into a war game, but not the other way around? What is it about war? Is it the zero sum game? Is it the naked aggression 
well you have to meet force with force right like yeah. if you um if someone decides to go the military route it basically forces you to go the military route but presumably a lot of games have that that momentum concept um that was mentioned earlier where if you commit to it you know early you know you're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and by the time someone else decides to to commit to it it may be it may be just too late right you don't have enough units or you're not you haven't gone down the the military tech tree um you know i mean just imagine like you know age of empires had a lot of had a lot of nice infrastructure stuff for uh for the game but it's not it's not like even there's no reason even to talk about like well i decided to go without military units this game right like that's not right and actually Age of Empires, so there's the Wonder Victory where you just take all your resources and convert into a game winner. And a lot of Age of Empires people think that's a bullshit victory. They won't play they won't play the Wonder Victory condition because they're like, no 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 no. You gotta actually kill like no, you can't we're not, you're gonna win on a wonder. Hell with that. Uh, you've actually gotta kill your opponent. So there's this like there, there's a lot of resistance to, to that kind of thing. Yeah, and the and the other side of that is the no rushing rules, right? Oh, like people who, you know, want want more infrastructure into the game they kind of have to force you know have the sort of these arbitrary rules that they decide you know choose going into the game they're like okay we're not going to, no one's going to attack anyone for the first need time, time to build my walls right yeah. exactly. they were great walls too uh, you know i, I think th- i think there's a few things um to, to rob's question i think First of all, as games tend to get smaller, uh, in terms of like streamlining and simplifying them, right? Like in a board game, you're kind of hard limited. The game can only be so big. Like you know, yep. nobody's going to make Avalon Hills Third Reich anymore. Those days, those <laughs> days are done. Yeah. Um, or like no, like five people will play them. Bruce Garrick will play it uh, alone in his basement. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it has solo rule, yeah, rules. Actually, I, I am certain it does because uh, I, I it would have had to, uh, but. So you're kind of limited in how big those games can get. So like in a imperial competition kind of game in a tabletop, um, there really isn't that much wiggle room before you start getting people entering a death spiral and some people getting in a victory spiral, right? Like risk. How long does a game of risk tend to last in equilibrium before like, you know, people start dropping like flies and one person gets really strong? Not real long uh, if, if people are... You know, if, if people aren't drunk, uh, people are paying, yeah, you know, are paying attention to what's going on. Um, you know, there's it's just it's hard to sustain that equilibrium. I think you know, going looking at the Civilization series, back with like Civilization two, when it was basically like, hey, go ahead, slugger, build a big empire and a lot of cities and just mob people with units, uh, and, and that was, that way you win. Uh, Wars tended to be the early stages weren't so damn decisive because if you got caught out, you could lose two or three cities and you'd still have chances are you still had enough depth in your empire that you could still get back in the game. Later civs at this point, you know, you're, you kind of don't run that many cities. So you lose that first one. Oh, you're in deep shit. You lose the second city. It's basically curtains for you, and I, yeah. and I think that's that's something that you you know. So once you introduce a military component into situations like that, where the player doesn't have that much um, strategic depth, the moment you introduce conflict into that situation, um, you know, the first person, the 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 first strike, the 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 first strike power becomes overwhelming. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think the the answers of um, you can only meet military with military. You can't be like, oh, you're going the military route. Well, if you attack me, I'm going to outbuild you, right? I'm going to build an even taller library. To, you know, <laughs> more things for you to burn. Yeah, it does, you know, it it forces people. No other strategy, you know, really forces other people to match that strategy. And in fact, it might encourage you not to like, oh, if there's some sort of competition, like, oh, you're going a building route and you're going to if the game says whoever gets there first gets the rewards, then you're actually going to avoid the same strategy. And I think the idea of being a zero sum game is an issue. And I think the idea of the first person to pick that strategy has an advantage in many cases because it's like they've geared for it and everyone else is playing catch up. Um, It's all very interesting, but it really does change the tone of the game. And I, I, I still find it interesting that, you know, in Seafall, people are always apologetic. Sorry about that. But it's interesting. They have no compunction at all about attacking the islands. It's like, hey, look, there's something I can steal out on an island full of faceless NPCs. Mine! You know, and then <laughs> they just kind yeah. of sail away. 
I think it certainly helps if you kind of force people to burn resources when they're going military. Um, that so that if they if they're pursuing that path, you know, as they use their as they as they make attacks, um, you know, they're losing they're they're they know they're going to lose their units. They're not going to be able to kind of use these guys again. Um, I, I was doing a, a Civ Four stream a couple of weeks ago where I was kind of just revisiting the game and you know talking about you know why I decided to do this or that. And one of the one of the guys watching asked me, "Have you one asked me? Did you ever consider having not allowing units to heal?" Um, and I was actually kind of floored for a few seconds because that's a really I, I don't know if it would pass the kind of thematic test of people like would would find that sort of palatable, but that would be pretty fascinating because that basically means that like every time you go to war, you know you know you're going with a certain amount of you know, you're going with a certain amount of guys, and every step you take, you're sort of burning those guys, and eventually yeah. you're going to run out, right? And maybe you're going to go, you're going to be able to push far enough uh, to get, you know, one or two cities, but you're ne you're never going to become sort of this just steamroller where you're just, you know, going to sort of wipe out the whole world. Um, and you know, that's just that's sort of just one small change, but it's 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 the type of change I think often doesn't get considered in game design of like what's the, you know, what's the issue here? How do we how do we rein in, you know, what you know, what the role of military is within this game. Right. War is costly, right? I think something else uh, to, to Rob's point about why war tends to take over is that in your average strategy games, there's really not a good reason not to just finish him. You know what I mean? Like if someone's if someone's teetering there, you should just you should just kill them. Um, I once did not do that to my girlfriend in a game of Risk Legacy, and that <laughs> resulted in the one of the worst fights we've ever had. Um, you know, because I was like, "Oh, I'll just I'll let you stay in the game," and she was like, "Thanks, sweetie." And then like three turns later, she won the goddamn game because um, she's really conniving. Uh, but once you've got that military ball rolling and someone else is starting to weaken, there's no penalty. Really, there's very rarely a penalty for just continuing to just like slap them up and down, you know, the the, the game board basically, right? right? Like there's like you've tried you've tried to do this, you've tried to handle this in Seafall with enemy tokens. Like okay, if you just keep working that guy, he's going to come back. His hammer's like quietly getting heavier, and if you just keep punishing him, eventually he can haul off and and knock you down. Uh, but in a, in a lot of games, you don't have any component that the more you take, the harder the game gets. And the the you know this is I think where the paradox example is interesting because paradox are trying to make like history sims, and so they kind of tr are trying to model this idea of there being like international norms there's like limits to how much you can really go after someone no matter how bloody the war you're not allowed to just like swallow up half their country uh that's that the punishment doesn't fit the crime and so paradox has sort of introduced all these um all these different values in the game I mean, you know the the classic example is a uh, you know bad boy uh you know where the worse you behaved the more um infamy you gained, which had a negative effect across a whole variety of um, variables affecting your empire. So, so they always created the situation where, yes, the, you could go down the military road and you could go pretty far, but the moment you started trying to maybe profit by it a little too much, there were all these sort of countervailing forces in the game to say, "Whoa, hang on, you know." Congratulations, you've you've beaten the the Hungarians, but we're not going to let you take all of Hungary. That would just be absurd. And that's and that's kind of how they've they've gone about that's how they've kind of gone about solving it. Is is just it's a little bit of it's a little bit of rubber banding, which, you know, is historically actually uh pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah, when I finally got over the hump with Paradox games, I found that aspect really fascinating. You know, that's sort of a they were able to deal with this assumption that we never really considered in the Civ games of like, you know, you take a city, but you don't really get the city. You know, I was like, uh, but I, you know, it's, it's kind of bracing, you know, in, in, in a paradox game when you, you know, you conquer all this territory, or at least you think you do. And you're like, well, this is mine. And the game says, well, no, it's not yours. Sorry. Um, you know, you may have won the battle, but uh, you know, here are the rules and these are your rewards and that's it. You know, sorry. Um, like that, that definitely changes the dynamic, but that, that sort of requires that your game is going to be able to have 
a pretty thick set of of uh, what's the right way to put this um the rule density for a game like that is mu- is going to have to be much much higher right like yeah. in if you try to do that in a civ game you'd have to have some very simple rules about what it meant to take a city or not to take a city um and probably people would find you know find ways to get around them because those rules are so simple as opposed to you know uh, in, in, with paradox they can be pretty heavy-handed because you, you're not really it's hard to see exactly how everything's working inside the engine so you just have to deal with what the game tells you right yeah that's the thing with board games as you know rob was saying earlier is i have all these beautiful little ideas that i'd sprinkled out through seafall and i just spent the past month getting rid of 80 percent of them because right. i'm like it's just another thing to remember or in most cases another thing to forget yeah, you know, yep. and then I'm like, well, you're not playing right. Of course, the game isn't working. People are like, yeah, I can't remember everything you have here. So it's board games, you know, have abdicated. I think in a very good way. Going back to your Avalon Hill, like they're no longer civil uh, simulations; they're right. a- abstract, impressionistic paintings of something. Uh, so it needs fewer lines in there. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. I have as you guys are talking, I'm like, oh, I could do this, and I could do this, and I could, I mean, part of the reason I'm on right now is, Rob knew I'm struggling with all these issues in my game, so I'm running everything through that filter, but how to do it elegantly, and so, you know, is the, is the question. Yeah, well, every, every game is a bucket, right? There's, there's only rule, room for so many rules, yeah. and the bucket is pretty, really big for, you know, a turn-based, or I guess you'd say slow real-time game like Paradox, you know, PC game. Um, the bucket is a lot smaller if it's a real time, if it's a, a you know a sort of a traditional RTS, and the bucket is much smaller still if it's a board game. Um, right. So you know every rule, you know you really have to consider the value of it. You know as as the you know the size of that bucket changes for sure. Yep. So I mean, obviously, in the case of a game like Seafall, obviously there's some. Any game designer is going to have to edit, have to self-edit. Like you're going to have to, you know, do the, the do the design equivalent of Kill Your Darlings, and uh, and and streamline the game. On the other hand, though, you know, okay, so the original Seafall was originally conceived may have been a slightly baroque structure, but I think there there is something to a lot of these games give you all these options and say, okay, this game is about kind of um, synthesizing all of them. You know, like here, like you're going to run an empire, and you're going to do all the things that running an empire uh, entails. And you can see something similar happening with like Civilization, where later games are sort of catering to the, um, you know, the the, the one city challenge uh, type mindset. And I think for me, I kind of wonder how much can you sort of teach a player through through uh, through the act of their playing well no this is how the game works you know what i mean like because you have the player sort of have may have an instinctive preference to just be like ah i'm going to go to war and kill everyone or i'm just going to stay home and and you know build things up how much how much power as a game designer do you have to sort of re- re-educate the player and be like well yes you you can do that but also you must do a little bit of the other thing uh how much how, how much can you control like how much can you get past a player's first impressions um if well i'll speak from a board game designer and there's a couple different answers to that if if you don't have a good time in your first game with so many other games out there you may not play a second one so it's interesting if you play suboptimally and you see like oh i know why you won okay i get it i know how i could do better but you still had a good time I think that you can train people like don't, you know, you should be doing more of this, less of that, vice versa. Uh, where I run into issues is I came up with this idea of, you know, one game carrying to the next. And so with some idea of permanence where you go, oh, I really played poorly. And now there's sort of this permanent result in this game that's either a reminder or this inconvenience. And then you play a second game and you go, yeah, I still don't quite get it yet. And now there's more permanent things going on in this game screw it, I'm never going to win this game. Like, you know, it, it like carries baggage forward if you're not careful. Um, so what do you feel about teaching people? Like if you play a couple early versions of the new game you're working on, how good are you at like basically course correcting people's instincts if they want to do something that doesn't work? It's a good question. Uh, we've, we've just been uh, showing off the game to some, some people who've, you know, with, who've had you know, no exposure to it. 
yet. And there's there's a few people where it's just been complete disaster, basically. Um, yeah. Like they they do not have like the you know uh, I guess I have to use it, but the, the the term, but they don't have the paradigm in mind for like what this game is about, right? Like it doesn't. If it was a traditional RTS, they would understand, you know, sort of this basic of like, okay, I got to get some workers out, I got to create some resources, and I'm sure I'm going to need to start building some military soon. So, you know, even if they're kind of building the wrong units, at least they know the direction they're heading. Whereas, um, you know, with Offworld, uh, there isn't really a good, it's, you really have to kind of learn the game uh, from scratch. I mean, it's like a tycoon game, but it's paced so much faster that... Um, you know, people aren't necessarily, um, they, they don't have, they don't come to the game with, with much um, experience uh, for it. So it's, it is absolutely a, a bit of a challenge. Um, so a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now is, yeah, like how do we want to step people into the game? You know, what, you know, what are the first, you know, three or four uh game modes that we should recommend for people to play in a single player you know something where like maybe the first time around there isn't even an ai because you know what often happens if you just drop people into a single player game right now um you know they're they're spending 10 or 15 minutes just to get comfortable with what's what's going on and yep. you know how does it even work to you know drop down your you know your water pump and get some water and then build a farm and like oh i see the water goes into my colony and then it goes out of the colony into the farm and oh then the food comes back and oh that's nice and if they play against the ai like suddenly you know zap you know half their colony has just been emp half their buildings have just been emp'd and all their production shuts off and they don't even know you know how they got to the situation so um so yeah, we've got we've got a lot of, of work to do in that sense. It just and just beyond that, the that the goal is to, um, you know, the goal of the game is to make as make as much money as possible and you know start buying people out, um, like for people even to understand like when is the right time to kind of switch from I'm investing my money into infrastructure to make more money to. Into, Okay, I'm gonna take my money and make a run on someone else, right? Which is sort of an offensive move. If you make an yep. offensive move too early, uh, that can really backfire. So, you know, how do you train people? When's the right time to do that? Um, and, you know, I mean, honestly, we have it a lot easier than you do because we will have a lot of single-player content, right? Like we will have, you know, these are, you know, these are recommended first four or five missions to play if you want to, you know, kind of get stepped into the game and like here's a nice single player campaign and you're not going to feel the pressure of, you know, losing to real people and you can spend as much time with that, you know, to learn the game as much as possible. Um, you know, whereas with Seafall, like, you know, not only is it a, you know, a, a multiplayer board game where you're sitting down with you know, people you know, but, but you'll never be able to play that first game again. You'll never be able to play that second game again. So, you know, right. you definitely, and, the stakes are a lot higher for you, for sure. Yeah, and that's one of the things I underestimated. I, um, with Risk Legacy, when I first did this, you know, everyone who sat down or just about everyone had played Risk, whether they liked it or hated it or moved on. They're like, oh, I get it, right? So they had already played a dozen games, you know, before they did. I don't know, I, I got to do something in Seafall where I almost say Have like- Have you considered a, having like a, a practice mode? Yeah, like, well, a slight variant where the, somehow, I mean, I, you know, I'm not familiar enough with the game to know if this is possible, but somehow, like, nothing that happens in this game will be permanent, and people know that going in. Yeah, it's sort of like the last thing I'm going to do once I have the game where I like it. I'm going to say, okay, what's the game zero, as I call it? What's the introductory experience where you can play around with the rules and fumble and make mistakes and go, ooh, oh, you know, combat's tough, or oh, I needed to you know, do this differently to build up, to be able to explore. And they're like, okay, got it. Let's play for real now. Kind of like when you play open-handed card game, you know, when you learn a game. Um, but it'll be the last thing I do just because I need to get everything else locked into place. So what I'm always sort of at a loss for is just when you come to the end of a game and your players are coming back at you with feedback like, well, this happened and I lost, and that didn't feel good, and I think there's something wrong with the game because of that. And to an extent, the, like to an extent, you have the, on the one hand, this is what the player took away from the experience. It's subjective. You can't you can't argue with it. On the other hand, there is the reality of well, you played a terrible game. Like let's <laughs> let's be clear, you fucked up. Yeah. And I feel like you know in 
in PC games land, you can get around that a little bit because people can always live in this solipsistic world where they are the uber gamer just because they're playing the AI and able to reload and all this stuff. So you, they can kind of correct, like, oh, yeah, I played a terrible game, but, you know, because I was able to reload, I can go fix it so that I'm a good player uh, for this <laughs> for this run. Uh, but like you know, in a board game, you just you just don't have that option. But I, I just I'm always sort of at a at a loss as to how, what you do with that when you you you've got a player being when when you've got players who, as you said, Rob, they they have so many choices. There's just no need for them necessarily to stick around to get the lesson hammered home. This is how you play the game. But on the other hand, there's kind of like what, the way you design the game and the way the game works, and then players kind of just sort of diverting from that and then saying, well, I, I was playing the game I wanted to be playing and not playing the game that like I was actually playing. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I spend a lot of time watching people play the game. Um, and then so when I'm listening to what they say at the end, I can uh, kind of compare that to how they were acting during the game. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, if they're really engaged and they're having a great time and they're doing stuff. And at the end and they say, well, I lost and I had a bad experience because this and this. I can think to myself, well, yeah, well, they were pretty engaged. So maybe it's more the end conditions or the game ended too suddenly. Whereas if I see a lot of people checking their phone or taking a long time between their turns during the game, you know, I, I basically people will say one thing, but maybe have felt a different thing mm -hmm. while they were playing. Um, yeah, it's tough. And uh it, it's it's an interesting experience. I mean, this was such an ambitious game to do for my first game on my own. I, uh, I'm i like, I can do everything finally. And, and then I did and realized I maybe should have done a small piece of everything. Um, you know, even the victory conditions are up in the air right now because I've discovered it's very interesting in Seafall. I've seen people, I've done it myself, have this wonderful time like empire building and at the end have no points. They're like, I explored, I built, I made my ships better, I built this thing over here, I went over there, I traded in the market, and like, I got zero. I did like, you just, but it's like, but they felt like they did a lot. Yeah, boy, there's a whole other show right there well, yeah. <laughs> on this topic. This is, a, this is a big issue for video games, or for, yeah. for games in general. Yeah. Probably, maybe we should have touched on that a little bit earlier in the show, but yeah, I, I've, I've, definitely experienced that like i recently played seven wonders for the first time in an age and i never played because everyone was playing seven wonders so seriously when it came out like everyone was playing that game for like a year and then everyone kind of burned out on it and nobody will play seven wonders at this point anymore but so every time i play it i'm kind of relearning the game and my last time i was having that exact glorious experience you were describing rob i was i mean i was drunk as a lord but i was i you know i was <laughs> my my wife was in that game with you she was telling me yeah i was i was laying the groundwork for this amazing civilization you know <laughs> the fourth age you were going to rule uh, yes i was I said, I said the next morning i was like well it's a three age game and i was playing for six ages uh, because i was like oh you know someday my stone quarries and my glass and my papyrus and my silk oh the things we will be able to you know build later on in the game and then there's no more game and i i done shit but for most of that game, I felt like I was I was really sort of high on like the possibilities I was constructing for myself. And I think this is something that happens in like a lot of empire building games, right? Where like you aren't just building a thing that's helping like in your head, this is not a tool to get to an end game. It is like an investment in an imagined future that's going to be glorious. It's, it's like buying your book collection, right? You go to a bookstore and you buy like 30 books and you're like, boy, I'm certainly going to be a better person once I've read all of these masterpieces. <laughs> and then you never do. But I kind of feel like that happens in a lot of games that are about building stuff, which is just that the feeling of sort of making that investment is so good that it completely it can completely override your awareness of what optimal play actually is in the game. Or, or even if you're doing anything. Yeah. So, so one thing that has worked out pretty well in Offworld is that there, you know, I sort of talked about that there is sort of this moment like, you know, the first half of the game, you should be focused on infrastructure and the second half and you start buying up stocks to sort of buy people out. But there is a little bit of wiggle, wiggle room because you, know, you can, you, if you're really doing well with your infrastructure and you're really, you know, you know, you're, you're sort of taking your, your cash generation engine up to, a, you know, a couple of, couple extra notches um you can maybe extend that part of the game longer if you'd like uh, because what that's going to be reflected in your stock price 
Um, and so if you're making money and you want to decide to take that money and invest it to make even more money, you know, your stock price is going to sort of maybe going to start outpacing everyone else, which means that it's going to be harder for other people to buy you out. Um, so that means that you could choose if you wanted to, to try to like make an aggressive move and get in the end the game early. But if you want to, instead of, you know, really, you know, put some extra time into building your infrastructure because the, you know, the stock price or the, basically the, the target to win is, is, is tied to how well you're doing. You have a little more flexibility, right? Like in seven wonders, there is no flexibility. You know, yeah. everyone knows you're in a draft draft exactly this many. Yeah. It's like 21 cards or something. It's, it's pretty fast. So you have to have a pretty much it's like once I get to my 16th card or whatever, you know, I need to be, you know, all I need to be focusing on at this point is victory points. Yeah. Right. Like we have we have some flexibility in off world about like how long how long the game is going to go. And that can be based off of player decisions. Uh, it's it's just very it's fascinating to me. And it is we have merged into a slightly different topic. But, you know, I don't want to spell it out. People are like, oh, by the way, you know, you should be changing your, you know, your strategy now. I played Seafall a couple weeks ago with John Schaefer, actually. Mm -hmm. And I said, here's how you win. And, you know, I had the win condition. It's probably going to change by the time. It's like, you have to spread eight influence on the world by doing these great actions. And he's like, got it. And he burned through his eight influence while other people were, like, on their second. And I was like, what do you do? He's like, he told me the win conditions. I figured out the ma how to maximize the, like, way to do it. He just, like, he focused entirely on the win conditions he wasn't telling a story. He wasn't building an empire. Everyone else is like, and I've got ships, and I went over here, and I bought something. And he's like, yeah, but that wasn't going to get you to your path to victory. It was like two completely different experiences. And I sit here as a designer and say, well, do I just, did they learn their lesson and they'll play like John? Or do I adjust the victory conditions to encourage more empire building? Right. Well, that's that's the traditional shock of like the game you think you're making versus the game you actually made yes um which is very much tied into usually victory and you know like whatever the victory is that is really what the game you made is yes uh, you know unless unless players sort of voluntary deci voluntarily decide not to care about that so much um but yeah that's that's a tricky issue yeah i mean i think you know the the topic sort of like the way we were talking about it in the email thread before the show is like building versus battle but i think there's this whole like it's really almost like building versus competition in any form hmm. really sure. when you're talking right. about this type of game and the question is do you even want people to be playing like someone like john right because like at that point you know maybe it's maybe it's too like it's it's not quite the rich narrative experience you were wanting them to have i mean this is why like the Paradox games, because the Paradox games just sort of take you on a historical journey. Uh, why don't you... It's the Renaissance. Why don't you guide your people through, you know, years of, t you know, turmoil and tumult? It'll be great. And it is, every time, because, it, you know, it's just, it, it allows me sort of, like, I just sort of ride the wave of history. It's fantastic. Um, but when you apply that to, like, every time I play, like, Civilization competitively, I just get my ass kicked because I'm, like, I I'm doing that thing where it's, like, oh, I'm doing all this fun stuff, you know, a little wonder here. Boy, that'll be a fun bonus. And, you know, then I realize, well, well no, I'm competing with other players, and it's actually a little more zero-sum than, than, than it looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing because there's different types of, you know, competition. Military is very dramatic, which is I'm physically, in most cases, I'm physically taking something that you either built or had. So it's this zero sum. But there is also a, you can do competition with a sense of racing or doing it better, right? Um, you know, like, oh, I built this wonder before you. So I get more points or I get all the points or I made more money than you this season. So I get points. And so that's entirely a competition as well. But it's not as it doesn't feel as much as the same as military. Like, oh, we're both trying to sell to the market. I'm kind of making up an example here. And I made 40 gold and you made 35. So I get the credit and you don't. But we both made money, right? So we can both use that money for something else. It's not like I took your money um, like military does. So there's other ways to get that interaction and competition. But military just has a flavor all its own. Because the only way you're going to get it back is militarily. Well, that's basically how off-world works, that you're you're always building, right? Like, you're always moving forward, you're upgrading your colony, getting more claims, you're you know, dropping down more buildings, and at some point, you're going to get bought out. But you're always moving towards making more money. You know, there, there's no point, you, know, you don't get, you don't lose your stuff piecemeal, right? Like, it's, right. it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of all or nothing. Um, 
and that that has worked out pretty well. We've actually been I've been kind of surprised because uh, when I play RTS games, I pretty much always want to play team games. I really have very little interest in like free for all RTS games. You know, playing playing StarCraft or Age of Kings free for all that that seems really terrible and that seems to be the way most everyone else looks at it too those games are kind of um exceptions um uh, but Offworld has worked really well as a free-for-all game and it actually seems to work really poorly as a team-based game um and part of that is is like you never you know you you're you're always making choices that is going to make your stuff better you don't have to deal with the like how do i deal with how do i deal with my military now that i've been cut in half you don't have to deal with that sort of you you're never in right. the, that type of position right like the, the game might suddenly end for you and that's just that's just how it goes which is a, a whole other issue um but you're you're kind of always moving forward and then and then you get a release <laughs> a release from the tension of your release from the tension you're, you're 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 no longer troubled by this world your, your <laughs> yes, sorrows right. have ended you've taken that away from you yeah Actually, this has been like wonderful game therapy for me. So I, I appreciate it. It's why both like other people have struggled with the same issues and starting to see some paths out of the woods for some uh, problems with Seafall that have just been recalcitrant. You know, it's like mm -hmm. no matter what I try, I think I've been um, treating the, uh, the symptoms, but not the underlying disease in some ways. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one thing that popped my mind that I forgot to bring up again was when we we're talking about you know, how to uh, make sure people are playing you know, sort of the right game. But like if you have if you have some sort of victory point system that's going to base that's going to determine who wins or who doesn't, you know, how do you make sure that people understand that that's, you know, that's really what the game's about? Like one thing I've always seen work really well is when games kind of force early scoring rounds. Yeah. You know, like they're they're you know, you you might go through mm -hmm. three or four scoring rounds before you get to the last one. And it especially works really well. Uh the game History of the World does this really nicely. Um, where the game is sort of built so that you're gonna get a lot more victory points in the later rounds. You know, the the, the amount of points sort of built, you know, get higher yeah. and higher the farther you get in the game. So you know, someone might be ahead by three or four points after the first round, but that probably is not going to mean much by the by the end of the game. But it gets it just people gets people into the habit of understanding like this is what's this is what you're really aiming for. Um, and I don't know if that would work would work for Seafall, but like I've always found that that to be a pretty decent system. No, that's actually a really good point. Is that you don't want you don't want to end up in that situation where the game basically is like <laughs> you just lose and you don't really even know why you don't know right. what was happening. This is the problem of you. Don't want it up in the in the RTS the classic RTS territory, um, of you know as Tom Chick used to say if you're not if you're not doing something you're losing you know if you're not acting you're losing, and you don't want your game to end up in this place where most of your players are sitting there, firm in the knowledge that unless they are actively winning the game at that moment then somehow they are getting screwed, and that's not I don't think that's a really fun place to end up inhabiting. I think this is one reason the RTS genre sometimes struggles a little bit is because there's so many things that sort of slap the player down, be like, well, you know, I'm sorry, you're just you're you're terrible, you're garbage, get out. Um and and you just and likewise you don't want that in a board game either, where it's like just abruptly, you know, the veil lifts and you realize, oh, I wasn't, I was, I was never in this game. You know, I, I like, and I suspect that's how it would feel if it were a John Schaefery type of game. You know, where where it's just where where yeah, it's just he like, hates victory points. Yeah, um, but yeah, it definitely seems like there there is that it it can be difficult to sort of keep players apprised of how they're doing when they're playing a game. Well, we've we we don't have any fog of war in off world. Um, I just never implemented it because I didn't know if we needed it, and it doesn't seem like we need it. And of course, it's not a war game, but still, most most games that have map exploration and have you know buildings and territory and units moving around, they kind of just do fog of war by default. Um, and we co totally could do that, and that could add kind of a nice aspect to the game of like you're kind of unsure, you know, what everyone else is building, which adds a little bit of you know hidden knowledge, which usually is a good thing, but. Um, I think it's much more important to, for people to have a sense of like how they're progressing according to everyone else. Um, so you know we're very upfront about like when people upgrade your col their colony, you get a message about that in the game. You know when someone builds the first um, when someone builds the first steel mill, there's a big announcement, so everyone knows that happened. Um, like you know we're we're trying to actually be very upfront about how everyone else is doing in the game, um, which is which is one of the big advantages of board games, right? Like you see that stuff directly right in front of you. Yep. 
if if we do it right, you know, I'm one of the things that's nice about seafall collapsing down is there's less visual information to take in. So you're not like, well, I, you know, I had no idea you were doing that, even though it's on a table and everyone can see it. If if you're focused in your own little world and you're not paying attention to everything going on, you can be blindsided, even though it was right there in front of you. And that was one of the issues. It sounds like I'm facing a lot of issues in this game, but I'm basically <laughs> I'm this this show is basically finding all of the ones that I'm working on right now. I could tell you all the stuff that works great, but that's not really all that exciting. Sure. Um. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, and I, I think I'm going to be in this place where I want to at least do the mental exercise of saying, how could the victory conditions be redone to reward the people, which like two-thirds of the people who are having a grand old-time empire building, and then find themselves with no points because they weren't paying attention to the victory condition. Not that I want to do that, not that I want to be like, say, I'm going to reward suboptimal play, <laughs> but I at least owe the fact of, huh, a lot of people who play this game had a great time up until the time when they realized they lost. And we're never in it. And what would this world look like if I made a game for those people and, you know, get unstuck in that way? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. I, I think it's an, it's an interesting topic because, uh, you know, as, as we've covered over the course of this, this talk, it's, it's hard to come across any definitive right answers. And the goals, you know, from game to game are so different. Uh, you know, it's it's very difficult to generalize, and yet I do feel like you you run up against this, um, you you run into this dichotomy, uh, you know, again and again, and I I think that's one reason. I I think just the one reason it worries me a little bit is just because I think it ends up. I, I worry that it ends up limiting. Uh, design possibilities a little more than I necessarily want. I think you know I I tend to look at like you know sort of the um. The history of the real-time strategy game, right? Like Soren, when when you were on the show, you know, a few months back, we were talking about RTSs and, and sort of what happened there. And the, and the answer is this entire genre that never really, you know, learned how to make sure most of its players were having fun and actually playing the game the right way, and that proved to be a problem in the long run. And I, and I just worry that that you know that that problem could crop up, uh, you know, with with a lot of your more ambitious games. Agreed. I just need to make a way for people to stop beating each other up in Seafall. That's my short term. Yeah. But still allow them to beat each other up a little. <laughs> I... A good old dust up. What's a good? You want a good old fashioned skirmish, but not a prolonged multi game war. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And that's. We'll see. I always kind of like the idea of like Seafall turning into the Seven Years' War at some point, just like in the middle yeah. of the game, just like, all right, screw it. I guess this. I guess we're doing this. I, and I, I actually would love that is like because, you know, you play the game over the course of like 15, 20 games. And I'm like, if game eight was the year everyone went to war, that's great. Right. That uh, that feels very historical. And everyone's like, wow, that was expensive. That was costly. We can't we can't keep doing that. Yeah. Right. And if the game can support that. Fantastic. We'll see if it that happens. Yeah. So, well, um, I think we'll leave it there. Leave it there for now. It's probably a topic uh, we could revisit in the future, and uh, perhaps we'll revisit it once uh, Seafall and Offworld Trading Company are out. It's a it's a race. I think you're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. It's a long road. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for uh, spending the afternoon with me. And uh, until next week, this has been three moves ahead. Good night. See ya. Good night.